Chapter Seven of Penrod and Sam, recording by Jonathan Burchard, April two thousand nine. Penrod and Sam by Booth Tarkington, Chapter Seven, Whitey. Penrod and Sam made a gloomy discovery one morning in mid-October. All the week had seen amiable breezes and fair skies until Saturday, when about breakfast time. The dome of heaven filled solidly with gray vapor and began to drip. The boys' discovery was that there is no justice about the weather. They sat in the carriage house of the Schofields' empty stable. The doors upon the alley were open, and Sam and Penrod stared torpidly at the thin but implacable drizzle that was the more irritating because there was barely enough of it to interfere with a number of things they had planned to do. Yes, this is nice, Sam said. In a tone of plaintive sarcasm, this is a pretty way to do. He was alluding to the personal spitefulness of the elements. I'd like to know what's the sense of it. Old sun pouring down every day in the week when nobody needs it, then cloud up and rain all Saturday. My father said it's going to be a three days rain. Well, nobody with any sense cares if it rains Sunday and Monday. Penrod said. I wouldn't care if it rained every Sunday as long as I lived, but I just like to know what's the reason it had to go and rain today. Got all the days of the week to choose from, and goes and picks on Saturday. That's a fine business. Well, in vacation, Sam began, but at a sound from a source invisible to him, he paused. What's that? He said, somewhat startled. It was a curious sound, loud and hollow and inhuman, yet it seemed to be a cough. Both boys rose, and Penrod asked uneasily, "Where'd that noise come from?" "It's in the alley," said Sam. Perhaps if the day had been bright, both of them would have stepped immediately to the alley doors to investigate, but their actual procedure was to move a little distance in the opposite direction. The strange cough sounded again. "Say," Penrod quavered, "what is that?" Then both boys uttered smothered exclamations and jumped, for the long gaunt head that appeared in the doorway was entirely unexpected. It was the cavernous and melancholy head of an incredibly thin old whitish horse. This head waggled slowly from side to side. The nostrils vibrated, the mouth opened, and the hollow cough sounded again. Recovering themselves, Penrod and Sam underwent the customary human reaction from alarm to indignation. What you want, you old horse? You, Penrod shouted. Don't you come coughing round me. And Sam, seizing a stick, hurled it at the intruder. Get out of here! He roared. The aged horse nervously withdrew his head, turned tail, and made a rickety flight up the alley, while Sam and Penrod, perfectly obedient to inherited impulse, ran out into the drizzle and uproariously pursued. They were but automatons of instinct, meaning no evil. Certainly, they did not know the singular and pathetic history of the old horse who wandered into the alley and ventured to look through the open door. This horse, about twice the age of either Penrod or Sam, had lived to find himself in a unique position. He was nude, possessing neither harness nor halter. All he had was a name, Whitey, and he would have answered to it by a slight change of expression if anyone had thus properly addressed him. So forlorn was Whitey's case. He was actually an independent horse. He had not even an owner. For two days and a half, he had been his own master. Previous to that period, he had been the property of one Abilene Morris, 
a person of color who would have explained himself as engaged in the hauling business. On the contrary, the hauling business was an insignificant sideline with Mr. Morris, for he had long ago given himself, as utterly as fortune permitted, to the talent that early in youth he had recognized as the greatest of all those surging in his bosom. In his waking thoughts and in his dreams, in health and in sickness, Abilene Morris was the dashing and emotional practitioner of an art probably more than Roman in antiquity. Abilene was a crapshooter. The hauling business was a disguise. A concentration of events had brought it about that, at one and the same time, Abilene, after a dazzling run of the dice, found the hauling business an actual danger to the preservation of his liberty. He won seventeen dollars and sixty cents, and with the hour found himself in trouble with an officer of the Humane Society on account of an altercation with Whitey. Abilene had been offered four dollars for Whitey some ten days earlier, wherefore he at once drove to the shop of the junk dealer who had made the offer, and announced his acquiescence in the sacrifice. "'No, sir!' the junk dealer said with emphasis. "'I already done got me a good meal for my delivery hoss, and that old Whitey hoss ain't worth no full dollar know-how. I as a fool when I talk about throwing money round that away. I know what you up to, Abilene. Man come by here a little bit ago told me all about white man try to rest you over on the avenue. Yes, sir, he say white man going to get you yet and throw you in jail, count of Whitey. White man trying to find out who you is. He say, mind, we'll know Whitey again, even if he don't know you. He say he catch you by the horse. So you come round try and fix me up with Whitey so white man grab me, throw me in jail? Go on way from here, you Abilene. You can't sell and you can't give Whitey to no colored man in this town. You go and drown that old hoss, cause you certainly going to jail if you get kitched driving him. The substance of this advice seemed good to Abilene, especially as the seventeen dollars and sixty cents that in his pocket lent sweet colors to life out of jail at this time. At dusk he led Whitey to a broad common at the edge of town, and spoke to him finally. "'Go on about your business,' said Abilene. "'You ain't my horse. Don't look around at me, cause I ain't got no acquaintance with you. I'm a man of money, and I got my own friends. I'm a-lookin' for bigger cities, hoss. You got you business, and I got mine, Mr. Hoss. Good night.' Whitey found a little frosted grass upon the common and remained there all night. In the morning he sought the shed where Abilene had kept him, but that was across the large and busy town, and Whitey was hopelessly lost. He had but one eye, a feeble one, and his legs were not to be depended upon, but he managed to cover a great deal of ground, to have many painful little adventures, and to get monstrously hungry and thirsty before he happened to look in upon Penrod and Sam. When the two boys chased him up the alley, they had no intention to cause pain. They had no intention at all. They were no more cruel than Duke, Penrod's little old dog, who followed his own instincts, and, making his appearance hastily through a hole in the back fence, joined the pursuit with sound and fury. A boy will nearly always run after anything that is running, and his first impulse is to throw a stone at it. This is the survival of primeval man, who must take every chance to get his dinner. So, when Penrod and Sam drove the hapless Whitey up the alley, they were really responding to an impulse thousands and thousands of years old an impulse founded upon the primordial observation that whatever runs is likely to prove edible. Penrod and Sam were not bad. They were never that. They were something that was not their fault. They were historic. At the next corner, Whitey turned to the right into the cross street, 
Thence, turning to the right again and still warmly pursued, he zigzagged down a main thoroughfare until he reached another cross street, which ran alongside the Schofield's yard and brought him to the foot of the alley he had left behind in his flight. He entered the alley, and there his dim eye fell upon the open door he had previously investigated. No memory of it remained, but the place had a look associated in his mind with hay, and as Sam and Penrod turned the corner of the alley in panting yet still vociferous pursuit, Whitey stumbled up the inclined platform before the open doors, staggered thunderously across the carriage-house, and threw another open door into a stall, an apartment vacant since the occupancy of Mr. Schofield's last horse, now several years deceased. End of chapter 7